Open your Bibles to Genesis 21, and I'm glad you're here this morning. Have you had a great week? Oh, good. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, anybody have a bad week? No? <laughs> Same people saying both, right? Uh, according to how you look at it sometimes, and uh, that's true. I can't change circumstances. I, uh, someone here sent me a little film clip, and the conclusion was you, you can't change the circumstance, but you can change your attitude. And uh, so that, that is always true, but uh, at the same time, sometimes we get uh, hit over and over and over and over again, don't we? And, and it makes it tough. We, we're coming to a passage of Scripture, and, and I, I just want to, I try to be honest all the time, but I want to be bluntly honest. I'm going to move your mic stand just a bit. We've got to fix that afterwards, Pastor Andy, because um, I'm liable to knock it over. Um, I try to be honest. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm I'm going to be brutally honest, and that is a lot of people just skip over what we're going to preach on today, all right? They just, you know, I try to read it, try to see what's there, and there's, it's a nice little story, but it just seems like a, okay, story. It's sort of like when you're reading a novel, the, 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 the actual, like, big thing happens in the next to the last chapter. The last chapter is just kind of the calm wrap-up, you know, where after it's all happened, what kind of TV shows, these, everybody does it this way. And in a sense, that seems what's happening here. This story began in, in Genesis 20, and, uh, and I, I told you on the wrap-up this week uh, that um, it, it, we call this a pericope. Now, that's just a big old word. They used to say it in seminary all the time, and... I still don't, I wouldn't know one if it bit me, okay? I don't know it when I see it, but I read and people go, oh, that's what this is. Chapter 20, verse 1 is the first pericope. This is the last one, and, and it's telling one big story through these two chapters. So the big climax, Isaac is born, and Ishmael gets to all that. That's the big deal, and this is sort of the wrap-up. But at the same time, uh, I, I didn't, and I told you before, you read enough commentaries, you realize when you come to a really hard passage, like you can read your Bible, you can understand it. I mean, you don't have to know Greek and Hebrew to understand what God's Word says. We got a faithful translation. But you come to this and go, what is that? Is there something else there? And you go read it, and it's really difficult. They were having difficulty too, so they ignore the question you have. They don't ever answer it. Sometimes you can't find any help. That's, that's what I was noticing very few people talked about this. In summary, sometimes they would just go, uh, and then they would go on. And, and, and so I, I had to dig a little bit, I had to look a little bit, and, and I call this a lasting treaty. So I want us to read it together, and, uh, and, and you just pay close attention to what's said. Let's go ahead and stand up. That'll help you pay better attention. And that way I can see your hands too. So anyway, I'm just kidding. Sorry. Genesis 20, uh, 21, beginning in verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, I'm going to say, the commander of the army said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who's done this thing. You did not tell me, and I've not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. 
Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? And he said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, and that, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. In verse 31. Therefore that place is called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. Abimelech, uh, so, uh, so they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of the army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord God, I, 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 we bow in your presence. Uh, Lord, there's no other place we should bow. And Lord, uh, once we bow here, there's no other uh, place to bow to. You are our God. You are our King. You are the one for whom we live, and in you we live and move and have our being. Lord, you are mighty above all. We thank you, Father, for loving us enough to send your Son, Jesus, into the world where, Christ, you put on flesh. We thank you so much. You are the Messiah. You are God in flesh. And we thank you, Jesus, for coming and living a perfect life and dying for us. And we thank you that, that when, after you died, you did not stay dead but rose again. And that you've ascended to heaven and one day you soon, we hope, you are coming back. And Lord, we thank you that because you received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, having done his will, you've poured the Spirit out on the church that we can not only see but understand what your word is telling us. So we ask you, Holy, uh, Lord Jesus, to... Uh, have the Holy Spirit open our eyes and hearts of understanding that we can behold the wonderful things in your word. We thank you, Lord, for that, that we worship you in Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons yet one God. And we ask today, God, that your spirit, your, your power, your, uh, your presence would just fill this place that uh, we might see and behold your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And God bless you. You can sit down. You, you probably caught some hints in there, some things. You say, well, that looks kind of important, and it is. It, it's all very important. But I'm going to start at the very beginning of this thing. So here's what I want you to take home with you today. This might help you as we look through it. Live so the world wants to know Jesus. Now, that, there are a lot of good points in here, and that is one of the main points that you will see, but I want you to just right now focus on the first few verses in verse 22, and that, and that is at that time. Well, now if you've been, you know, we're not reading straight through from chapter 20 verse 1 to now, so you might not know what at that time means. What time? The time that just immediately preceded it. What immediately preceded it was Isaac is born, Two, three years go by, they throw this weaning party that we did not know they did. Uh, when a child is weaned, they threw a party. And his half-brother, older brother, who if Isaac was three, he was about 17, makes fun of him. Sarah, Isaac's mom, doesn't like it, just like she didn't like it when Ishmael's mom made fun of, of her when, when Hagar was pregnant and Sarah was not. Now her son is doing that to Sarah's son and so she says Abraham you got to get rid of him Abraham doesn't want to but God says no do it this is in in my will go ahead and do that because your heir has to be Isaac there can't be competition there so they send Hagar he sends Hagar and Ishmael away and they almost die and God rescues them at the end so that's where we we kind of uh, left off 
uh, that God would make Ishmael a great nation. And he goes ahead and says he does that. And then it says at that time. So I think it's kind of important. Whenever the Bible puts a time marker down, sometimes it just means, and this happened next, or this is what I saw next, or did next, or said next, or I heard next. And, and in this sense, that's exactly what it's saying. It's important when there's a time marker. All this has happened. Why would Abimelech now walk up to Abraham, and this is the question, and say, let's make a treaty? Well, you got to go back to chapter 20. Chapter 20, Abraham lies to Abimelech, says, Sarah is not my wife, she's my sister. I don't know if, I don't think he ever says she's not my wife. Just said, who's that? He said, that's my sister, which was true, but it's only part of the truth. Abimelech takes Sarah, but before anything can happen, God visits Abimelech and dreams, says, dude, I'm going to kill you for this. He says, well, what? What did I do? Well, that's actually another man's wife. I didn't know God. I did it in innocence. God says, I know that. That's the only reason you're still breathing earth air right now. And so we'll work it all out. And God does. I'm going to paraphrase a whole chapter there. And, and so Abimelech says to Abraham, here's a bunch of stuff. Don't be mad at me. Here's a thousand dollars or a thousand pieces of silver so that everybody knows Nothing happened to Sarah, all right? This, this was a public display, so nobody could say, which was very important, because a year later, she's going to have a baby, and it can't be doubted who the dad is. It's got to be Abraham, or it doesn't count. And it's got to be Sarah, or it doesn't count. And so Abimelech does this kind thing, and then as a kind of throwaway, hey, you know what? You can hang out here. Just live where you want. Do what you want. And it's cool. How old was Abraham when Abimelech made that promise? 99. How old was Sarah? 89. So I am supposing. Listen, when I'm preaching the word, I'll tell you what the word says. The word said at that time. But then it, what it says after that is Abimelech comes and says, let's make a treaty. And he brings the captain of the army with him. Well, that's kind of odd to me. Why now? Well, this is my speculation. This is pure Stuart right here. But I think it fits. So you can fuss at me later or you can help me later. What is the harm in telling a hundred-year-old dude, do what you want? But when that dude has an anchor baby, now we got trouble. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on there. This rich, powerful guy now has an heir is going to get all that and probably get richer because the rich get richer. And they're going to take over this place if we don't do something now. I believe that's Abimelech's motivation. That's just pure conjecture on my part. I would say that. But I think Isaac's birth triggered this response. Now, it's been three years, but they have the party this ruckus has made. And Abimelech notices, and he comes, and he brings the captain of his army. Now, I want to let you know something. That, that name, P-H-I-C-O-L, I say Phicol. It could be something else because it's Hebrew, but it means the mouthpiece. This is his press secretary, too. This is the guy who tells him what the king's saying. He, he tells all. So, but he brings him like, see my, see my military guy here, Abraham? Don't mess with me. And, but look what Abimelech says there. God is with you. It doesn't say your God is with you. It says God is with you. This pagan king sees in Abraham's life 
man, your God is unbelievable. Now, remember, at this point, Abraham's about 103, right? Somewhere in that neighborhood because the baby's been weaned and Sarah's 93 by this time. And he comes and says, God is with you in all that you do. Everything Abraham touched, we would call it the Midas touch, but that's a Greek mythology thing. I think it's Greek, but it's a mythology thing. But, but it's, all, it's true with Abraham. It's like even when he messed up, God would bless him. Things are just going his way. And as a king, he's looking at that, and this is going to be a competition. And he finally realized, you know what? I got to do more than I've done. I need to make a, an official treaty. There, there's a saying in the legal world, if it's not written down, it isn't real. All right? Anybody deals with real estate knows this. You can put anything you want in a contract. And if it's not in the contract, then you got no right. You don't have, you don't, you haven't guarded your rights. So Abimelech has, you know, it's been a gentleman's agreement. Yeah, you can hang out. Everything's fine. Now he wants to formalize that agreement. He says, look, I don't want you mad at me. I mean, basically he handed Abraham a, a green card when he said you can hang out. But now they've had an anchor baby and now they need, they need help. I don't mean those derogatory. It's just terms you and I would understand looking at this story. And so he comes and he says, God is with you in everything you do. Therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely. Isn't that the very one thing that Abraham had done bad to him? He lied to him. Abimelech hadn't forgotten this. It's been about four years now. And he kind of says, just swear you ain't going to lie to me, man. In other words, if, if I'm going to die, let me know. If, that's, if that belongs to you, let me know. If that, just tell me stuff. Don't hold back. It seems like Abraham had trouble being forthcoming sometimes. He says, with me or with my descendants. Now what's in Abimelech's mind? Abraham's going to hang out a while. He's got a child. There's probably going to be more children, more people. That child's going to have children. And this thing's going to get bigger. And Abimelech had enough godly insight. Because I, 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 insight comes from God is the only reason I'm saying that. To look into the future and go, this is going to grow. Now, you and I that have read the Bible know the rest of the story. Two generations later, they go to Egypt and they do grow. They do become a great people to the point that eventually the pharaohs make them slaves because they're such a large group. He said, man, if they come after us, we may not be able to stand it. So they enslave the people. Well, Abimelech figures that out early, so let's make a treaty. And he says, with me or my descendants or with my posterity, everybody comes after me. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. Now, I would point out Abimelech has only done nice things for Abraham. He, he made it one mistake, but he didn't know that. He corrected it. It was out of ignorance. He learned, and he's just been nice to Abraham ever since. And Abraham gives a simple response. And Abraham said, I will swear. Now, the way the Bible words this, the very next verse seems like a, a jolt, like there's no flow. It doesn't say, and at this time, Abraham said. It just says, when Abraham reproved Abimelech. So, in other words, Abraham, when he finally can say it, is not, to me, the Bible is saying it in such a way that he just sort of blurts it out. And, and what's going on? This was the, the treaty that, that Abimelech wanted to make. I, I never told her that, that first point is just the words, a treaty, and I'm telling that story. The second point here is th there's a well at issue. Now, as you would imagine in that area, 
wells are pretty important because the water is not flowing in rivers and streams like here. It's a very desert type place and you got to dig a well to get water. And so Abraham obviously has dug a well and what's happened is Abimelech's men have come in because they're more powerful and taken it over. And it, the area he's talking about, there's two wells there, a bigger one and a smaller one. And so in verse 25, when Abraham reproves Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. So I want you to get light of this. Abraham now has Abimelech where he wants him. I, 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 would, I say I was friends only because he has passed on to be with the Lord. With uh, Rick Stanley, who was Elvis's stepbrother. And uh, he, he passed away a year, about a year or two maybe now ago. And, uh, but we had him come to the church several times. And, and, he, and he told the story that when he was, before he was saved and he was with uh, Elvis on a tour. I believe it was... Um, Led Zeppelin wanted to meet Elvis. They came to a concert. So Rick runs into Elvis and says, Elvis, Led Zeppelin's here to meet you. It might have been Def Lever. one of those two. He goes, they're here to see you. And Elvis goes, a Led what? Or Def Cat? What are you talking about? And he said, no, 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 man. You got to understand. Because Rick was into that kind of music. And, you know, Elvis was Elvis. And he says, no, no, man. It's you got to understand who these guys are. And he said, Elvis said, Rick, let me ask you a question. Who wants to see who? Elvis like, I'm the king, man. They're coming to see me. Don't get all excited about this guy wanting to see me. He, you know, I don't have to let, he said, of course, Elvis let him in, was nice to him and all that. But he said, I learned a lesson there. Who's asking for a treaty with who here? Suddenly, Abraham realized, hold on a minute. I'm not the king here, but the king is scared of me now. Right? Hey, can you imagine President of the United States going, one individual in America and said, uh, do you mind like making sure you don't ever attack us? That you, you're going to be nice to us? We can't even, con well, you might can conceive of it. I'll stop before I get in trouble. <laughs> but that just doesn't make sense, does it? And Abraham says, oh, but there's the matter of the well before we make a treaty. That's pretty, that's pretty smart on Abraham's part. Let, 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 let's make a deal. Abimelech had given Abraham this freedom. And Abraham speaks into, and says, look, I, I dug some wells. I worked hard. I've, I've just been hanging out here. I haven't been everywhere. I haven't hurt anybody. And your guys took the wells from me. They won't even let me get to them. And Abimelech says, hey, I'm ignorant of that. Just, I mean, it seems like Abimelech's go-to excuse, but I believe it's, it's a real reason. He was ignorant in both cases. I don't think he's lying here. He said, I don't know what, uh, who has done this thing. You didn't tell me. Throw it back at Abraham a little bit. You should have told me then. You didn't tell me. And this is the first I've heard of it. And so verse 27, so Abraham says, good. You, you get it. And so we just assume Abimelech takes care of it. And in verse 27, Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. Now, that sounds awfully generous. I would point out, Abraham was providing the animals for the sacrifice to make the treaty. This is Abraham's deal. I don't know if Abimelech uh, understands this whole system, but maybe he does. He, because all Abraham has done is give back to Abimelech the stuff he gave him. 
when he provided the animals. Abimelech had given him animals in chapter 20 about four years ago. Now Abraham's handing him back some animals. It's sort of an even exchange. My oldest daughter and my ne oldest nephew, or my nephew, their birthdays are one day apart. And so every year, his was first. My oldest daughter would hand him a $20 bill, and the next day he'd hand it back. I used to tell him, you dumb man, just give her 10 back. I mean, why, what are you doing? <laughs> That's basically what's happening. Abraham gives it back for the sacrifice. And, and the Bible doesn't even talk about the covenant they made. Does it describe them cutting the covenant? Or, but they would both have to slaughter the animals and do all the ritual. The Bible just ignores that, though, and jumps to this in verse 20, uh, 28. It just says, Abraham took sheep and ox again to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Okay, so we didn't need to know the details, but they did make a covenant. And Abraham obviously swore to the conditions that Abimelech laid down. I'm going to treat you nice. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to hurt you. But look at verse 28. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. He just pulls them out and sets them over there. And Abimelech said, what's the deal with those? Because there was no word given. There was no... Now, if you're into numerology, and I believe that there are some significance in the numbers in Scripture, but I'm, I'm, I don't think you've got to, you know, freak out and look for something in every number. But we do understand the number seven is the number for God, basically. That it, it points to the divine. And so Abraham is saying this is a kind of a perfect set here, a perfect, it's about God and he put seven sheep apart, seven ewe lambs of the flock. And Abimelech, verse uh, 29, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you set apart? And he said, these seven ewe lambs you'll take from my hand, that this will be a witness for me that I dug the well. Again, Abraham is doing back to Abimelech what Abimelech did to Abraham. Here's a thousand pieces of silver. I didn't touch Sarah. And Abraham says, I'm going to pay for those wells. You told me I could live here. You told me I could dig wells. And your men took them from me. And I don't have it in a contract. It ain't real because it ain't written. But it's about to get real. Here's seven lambs for those wells I dug. Now, you say, okay, good. That's my, wait a minute, hold on. What has Abraham just done? And what has Abimelech allowed him to do? He has bought land he is now a landowner in that place. It now belongs to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the 12 boys. God has this, this Philistine king come to Abraham to make a treaty. And in doing so, he establishes the ownership of land to Abraham here. In the land that God says I'm going to give you later. Because Abraham legally buys it. And Abimelech says that's fine. Now it's a perfect gift. So as God is showing us that. He's showing us himself in that deal. That's what I think the number seven there signifies. It, it's sort of a, an amazing number. Remember Peter's question to Jesus. How, how many times do I have to forgive those who sin against me? The Pharisees say three. But I'm saying seven? And Jesus said seven times 70. Well, once you've done it 490 times, you kind of got into a habit of forgiving, haven't you? So seven is always significant, always points to God. 
And so God is letting us know I'm in this treaty because way hundreds, centuries before Israel comes back, the nation comes back to take this land, they've already got a spot they can claim as theirs. They own it. You follow me? It's one thing to be a visitor in a country. It's another to own land in a country because that gives you certain privileges, certain, certain rights. You say, so what's the big deal? Well, let, let me just finish it there. So they make a covenant in verse 20, uh, 32. Uh, let me back that up. He said, these seven new lambs, verse uh, tw- uh, 30, you will take from my hand that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. And therefore, that place was called Beersheba. Now, Beersheba means the oath of wells. And it's used as a reference point in the Old Testament after that, from Dan to Beersheba. You'll see that word Beersheba a couple more times in the Bible, using it as a boundary marker. It's, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's west of the Dead Sea, about the middle ways down the Dead Sea. God gave Israel all the way below the Dead Sea later, but Beersheba is right about that spot. Um, and it became a, an important place. And so they made a covenant at Beersheba. He repeats it in verse 32. And then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of the army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. So they go away. Okay, well, good. We made a treaty. Now, again, I'm speculating because the Bible didn't give us this detail. But Abimelech's like, cool, we made a treaty. We're safe. Not realizing the spiritual implications of it. I, I, want, I want you to understand something there. And, and Sorry, I, 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 was, I had to refigure in my head what I wanted, how I wanted to say this. There is nothing that happens that is not, does not have a spiritual background. Are you with me? There's always something unseen behind everything that's happening. And there's only two sources of power in the unseen world. God and Satan. Still with me? So whenever you read a story, whenever you see something happening, ask yourself, why is that happening that way? What is God up to? Because God, of course, can, he, he, Satan can only do what God allows him to do. So he's not an independent power. He, he's, he's an allowed power. So what is God up to? When you look at this, you realize God is up to establishing legal rights in this place that are going to go on for the rest of the descendants of Abraham, even to this day. But I want you to notice what's, to me, the most important part of all of this. After all that stuff, look what Abraham does in verse 33 and 34. Abraham planted a a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of God, the everlasting God. So, by the way, there's a hint to prayer. This is a little parenthetical. When you pray, you ought to use the name of God that has to do with what you want to do. God had promised Abraham he'd make him a great nation, that it would go on forever, that his descendants would be more than the sands of the sea. And Abraham is worshiping the everlasting God who can make sure that happens. Think about, we we talk about Abraham's faith, but think about what Abraham had to have faith in, and that is that God would continue to guarantee the treaty or the covenant he made with Abraham because Abraham's going to die. He may be 104 here. He may live another 72 years. 
but he's still going to die. And that covenant can only be ratified by someone who's still alive, right? Why is the covenant to Abraham an everlasting covenant into eternity now? Because his descendant, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, who is the Christ, died for our place, was buried, and rose again, never to die. And so the throne of David and the covenant of Abraham are made eternal in Christ. Did Abraham fully understand that? I don't know. But you ever seen a tamarisk tree? Yeah, me either. <laughs> in fact, they had to figure out what kind of tree is he talking about? And, and, and listen, I don't know if you ever look up. I, I like plants. I don't know much about them. So I have a little app on my phone called something plant. You take a picture of it. It tells you what it is. Take another picture. Do it again. It'll tell you something different. But usually it's close. All right. So maybe my photography. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, not, not going to down that app. It works. It helps. And man, it's got a Latin name, a scientific name, a common name, and then about 10 other common names according to where you are. I don't know if y'all know, but y'all call fish different things here than I called them where I grew up. And just because it's colloquialisms for those names. So tamarisk, nobody kind of, they finally figured out what kind of tree this is. It's, a, it's an evergreen, and the leaves aren't real big, but they're very plentiful. So it's just got these, on the branches, from a distance, you just think it's branches, but you get up close, there's a lot of these little tiny leaves. An innumerable nation being born to Abraham that will be everlasting. An evergreen tree with a lot of small leaves making up one tree. Abraham is acknowledging, whether knowledgeably or not, God, you've made a covenant with me. This is going to last forever with my descendants that are going to be more than the sands of the sea. And he calls upon the everlasting God, the one who can, will live into eternity to make sure it happens. I thought this was the anticlimactic ending to a story. No. This is the, this is the Abraham is trusting God for what God has been doing through these two chapters. And the Bible says, so Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. You see, when you know God's got a hold of the future, you can go anywhere and do anything. Abraham doesn't have to start worrying about it. He goes, man, God took care of this. Plants that tree and then just hangs out in Philistia for a while. And that's where we're going to leave him. Because next week, we're going to see what Abraham is willing to do with the most precious possession he has. But here's some questions I want to ask you about today. First of all, do others see Jesus in you? When Abimelech comes to Abraham, he says, your, he doesn't say your guy, he says, God blesses everything you do. He recognized that Abraham's life was a life that had God in it. Uh, I don't know if she's here, but a, a young lady last week when we had the, uh, the, the meeting for Fallapalooza did not, was not fully aware of the story until she stood up and said it. What I like best about it is nobody asked her to. But she was so excited about Fallapalooza. By the way, a lot of y'all stepped up and volunteered. Pastor Stephen would love for you to know y'all really responded. He's so excited about that. Just want to say that because he didn't get a chance to come up today. But 
But she suddenly stood up. She said, let me, let me tell you people. I mean, it was all of us. She's part of our church. She said, let me tell y'all. I'm here because of Fallapalooza. She said, my sister and I came. And as we are going around with kids, with the games and talking to people, I looked at her and I said, do these people know something we don't? And she said, I started coming to church and my sister and I got saved and I can't wait for Fallapalooza. blew me away blew me away are, are you living your life so other people see Jesus in you do other people see kindness in you I mean Abimelech has to think that Abraham has the capacity for kindness that's what he asked for right by the way gentleness is not weakness gentleness is power under control kindness is power under control to bless someone else do people see, no matter how powerful, the more powerful God is in you, the more kind I think you'll be. Because you got God, you got an eternal treaty. What, why do you have to worry about it? You don't have to fight your battles. God's got it, right? You know where you're going when it's all said and done, so why are you ripped out of the frame about every little thing? Because they got your order wrong at the Chick-fil-A line or Starbucks or wherever you go. Do other people see kindness in you when they say, oh, I'm so sorry I messed up? You go, don't worry about it. It's fine. Because they face so many people just yell at them because, you know, I didn't want that much cream or, you know, whatever. Something wrong with it if you use cream anyway, but that's just, that's just me. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Do other people see kindness in you? Saw it in Abraham. And Abraham was kind to Abimelech. Abimelech was kind to him. But the big one here is, do you worship regardless of your circumstances? Abraham worships God. And everything looks good for Abraham, but remember, he's still, what he owns is a tent. Now he owns a couple of wells. He owns a piece of ground, but he's still a nomad. And don't forget, the Bible says because he was looking for the city, not a city. All this was important to Abraham. It's important to everybody to own land, all those things. But the Bible lets us know what's in Abraham's heart is he doesn't care about this land. He cares about this God. That he wants to get to the city, not a city. And we are so focused in what we can see, we worship what we can see. We worship power and might and prestige and how much somebody has. And Abraham worships the God who owns all things. You see, if God's my dad, I already own all things. I may not possess it all, but I own it all. That's what Paul said, having all things, possessing nothing. I've got all things. I got everything I need. I got everything God wants me to have. If I get more stuff in the future, it'll be what God wanted me to have. But I don't own any of it. It all belongs to God. I don't possess it. God possesses it, but I'm a joint heir with Christ. And one day we'll see that played out. And so, do you worship God in every circumstance? Not just in the good ones, but in the bad ones too. Do you thank God that things aren't going well? Do you thank God when you have a great week? Do you thank God when you had a bad week? Do you thank God that he's always present in your life and he is the everlasting God and we trust him with our eternity as well as the eternity of his great plan? I don't know if you ever thought about that, but you are trusting a God you've never seen 
for your soul not to go to hell but to go to heaven. You are trusting something you cannot see. I think it's been proven, but you can't see him. And so you are expressing faith. You are trusting in his word, both written, but especially living, right? So can you worship God every day that he's provided an everlasting way for you, that you never have to worry about it again? I think that's worth worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story about Abraham. And Lord, uh, we don't believe there's an idle word in your word. I think everything you say there is important to us. That's why you put it there. And so, Lord, I just ask right now in Jesus' name that we would learn just to trust, to know that we have an everlasting agreement with you, but you made the agreement for us. You paid the price to the Father for our sin. And our sin has now been fully paid, and we can reckon ourselves righteous because you've given us your righteousness not because we are righteous that we are drawing on your account constantly but God the Father is pleased with that you said in Isaiah that it pleased the Father to bruise you Lord Jesus for our sin and it was one thing that you, you went through that that both of you went through that but it's another thing to see that word it pleases you that you would suffer for us. Oh God, we are not worthy of any of this. We are not worthy for your consideration. And yet you make an everlasting covenant for us. So Lord, may we plant some evergreens in our life and worship the everlasting God and exalt you above all others in our life and mind and heart. 